The information on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a qualified licensed professional counselor or a qualified licensed medical provider. Hey, you guys, welcome back to another session of the Evolving Chair podcast with me, your host, Lakeisha Russell, licensed professional counselor, also known as America's mental wellness ambassador and the founder of the Evolving Chair Counseling and Consulting Agency as well. And so to keep in mind with you guys that we are doing um a a giveaway. We're looking for new name titles to rename the podcast. So if you had a chance to rename the podcast, what would you name it? Um, Because again, this will be the last season. It'll be named as the Evolving Chair Podcast. And the giveaway will be a self-care box full of goodies and treats and things to help you practice self-care management and and have a routine of you taking care of yourself so please if you have a name that you think might be a good fit to rebrand the podcast please send that to podcast at the evolving chair.com or if you want to dm me on social media lakeisha russell on facebook lakeisha lpc on twitter and lakeisha lpc on instagram And so we are going to dive into our pop therapy segment today. So pop therapy segment is a segment where I talk about either like a TV show, a movie, an article, something going on in the world and give it a therapeutic twist. One thing that um, I've just been noticing because I watch a lot of like older um, comedy TV shows from like Family Matters, Martin, Fresh Prince, things like that, Girlfriends. Um, and a lot of episodes I've been watching, they they talked about mental health, whether it was um, an episode I'm thinking of in particular was on Family Matters. And we know Family Matters was like in the 90s. And they actually went to go see um, a psychologist um to talk about the family dynamics um, and how like Steve Urkel was just like really annoying (laughs) and they actually went to the psychologist's office. So I was just like, oh my goodness, like we've been talking about mental health um, and especially on these shows of color for a long time. And so I just, I just thought that was really interesting. And now looking at the wave of how much we're talking about mental health and now just in the media, um, through Chance the Rapper's initiatives in Chicago, through Taraji P. Henson's foundations, to Charlemagne the God um, and his book and, and how much of an advocate he is about mental health. And so it it's really cool to just to see how much it has grown, but I had to think like, okay, in the 90s, I was definitely still a kid. And so I didn't think nothing about mental health at that point. But to to be able to be an adult and be in this profession and look at those shows now, it's like, wow, we, we was talking about this, y'all, especially in, in our our communities of color. And so I, I just love that, that we were even having those conversations back then. And I remember like on an episode of Martin, I think it was like Pam that said something about therapy. And I was just like, oh my goodness, like they was really talking about therapy and mental health. And so that was just dope to see how even back then there was still a benefit to it. Um, and so this encourages me to continue to have these conversations, to continue to bring content and awareness um, and providing advocacy among people of color and them taking care of their mental wellness so that that was our pop therapy segment today um but today i will have a special guest joining me dr alicia hodge she's a connecticut native in washington dc and she has over 10 years of clinical experience across various treatment settings with adults and and adolescents her work is centered around cbt so cognitive behavioral therapy And she has helped hundreds to improve their lives by tackling rigid thinking or navigating daily worries. She also promotes investing in genuine self-care 
beyond the hashtags. Dr. Hodge received her Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology from Rutgers University, her Master's of Counseling from Bowie State, and her Master's of Clinical Practice and Doctor of Clinical Psychology, both from University of Hartford. And so we'll be right back after this with my very special guest, Dr. Alicia Hodge, who will help us be able to slay your anxiety. All right, you guys, I am back with my beautiful guest, Dr. Alicia Hodge. Dr. Hodge, why don't you say hi to the Evolvers? Hello, how are you today? Yes, and we are going to talk about something I think that many people um, want to know more about or they're always inquiring about anxiety and how to slay it. Mm-hmm. Cause you are the anxiety slayer. I'm, yes, I'm a I punk, am. So. Yes, I am. I am about to make a, a jacket with that on the back. Actually, oh, that would be so dope. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so dope. Like, I, I love that idea. <laughs> yes, yes. I actually thought of it last night. So you was reading my mind. We're on the same page, girl. <laughs> yes, I love it. And, and before we just dive in, I want to um give the listeners just like some statistics about anxiety. Um, And so this was coming from NAMI's um, online website. And so 40 million people in the U.S. experience an anxiety disorder in a year. 8% Mm -hmm. that are children and teens will experience an anxiety disorder with symptoms developing before 21 years of age. Only one third of individuals who experience an anxiety disorder receives treatment. And then one out of 13 people globally. So, y'all, this is the U.S. and out of the country experience an anxiety disorder. One out of 13. And those those numbers are pretty high. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and mm-hmm. I think I was just more in shock. Well, well, no, I I'm probably wasn't shocked. Um, about only one third receiving the treatment because I know it's different pieces to that. Um, I always get the thing about oh, if you don't have insurance, how can you afford and things like that. So I guess I'm not shocked that only one third of individuals who have an anxiety disorder actually receive treatment. Um, but I think things like this making people more aware. Um, of just how normal it is to seek support and seek those services and then finding other avenues um, to help you get that professional treatment that you need. And so with you, Dr. Hodge, I want you to share with us, how did you even get into this field and and, and go through, through the channels of focusing on that anxiety piece? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, I think most people, usually who you meet her and who are in some sort of therapy role, they'll Mm -hmm. say like, well, I started off like I wanted to help people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And yes, that's very true. But I think for myself, um, I started off actually being curious based on watching people react to situations differently. Mm -hmm. Meaning when um, I was in high school, I had some interest in psychology due to, um, you know, the school counselor. But when I got to college, I'm like, well, how come some of us are freaking out and some of us mm. aren't? And how come some people, you know, when it's exam time are seemingly falling apart and other people yeah. are performing? And so I got very curious about behavior and okay. I was already, you know, studying psychology. So I've always been centered in this idea of like, how are you thinking about something? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately that's going to influence what you're doing. Yes. So I think that's how I came into the field. But then in terms of anxiety, Um, Those numbers, like you shared, sound really far reaching. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of truth to it, because I think despite any diagnosis I've worked with, there's always an element of anxiety, Mm. usually in someone's presentation or affecting them or impacting them or holding them back. So even when um, my original focus really was severe mental illness and psychosis and schizophrenia. And I found myself doing a lot of work initially around how not to be anxious and afraid of hallucinations, scary thoughts, Mm -hmm. and really teaching people how to calm down. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is at the basis of everything. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. I love that. And so you, you moved through that process. And like you said, you found that the basis of it was the anxiety. So what, what kind of um, behaviors were you noticing then from individuals? 
Yeah. So I would say mostly, to be honest, it's the avoidance. Mm. So a lot of people, when we think about anxiety, we talk a lot about like, oh, a panic attack and feeling like you're losing it or, Mm. um, you know, I can't breathe. Oh, no, those things are um, very much so anxiety. Those are classic symptoms. But what I was noticing more was I was focusing on behaviorally, like, what are you not doing? Mm. Um, What are you avoiding? Okay, how come so-and-so hasn't showered? Mm-hmm. Since they got mm-hmm. here, like, yes, we know that some of it is self-neglect, but some of it was fear. And a lot of that came from um, trauma experiences, unfortunately. Yes. But really, I was working around, let's get you less afraid. Let's teach you how to soothe yourself and get calm so that you can make more, um, quote unquote, logical decisions. Mm-hmm. So I really um, saw that, you know, yeah. as a part of the process. Yeah, no, I love that. And I know... um you have worked with an array of individuals from children and adults. Do you Mm -hmm. notice anything different in terms of how the anxiety looks um, Mm. when you're working with children and adults? Cause I know for me, um, my, my full time, I am school-based mental health, but then I have my Mm -hmm. private practice um, where I see predominantly um, adults through that one. Mm -hmm. But so I, it's always interesting working with the children and the adults at the same time and for me to make those parallels and it's really interesting but I want to get your take on that yeah so what I've noticed um for sure is that in children I see things anxiety show up behaviorally mostly Mm -hmm. and I think you see that a lot in kids Mm -hmm. um so as whether this through looking like they're very defiant and disobedient um because maybe they're rigid Mm -hmm. because they're nervous yeah um you see it in restrictive eating um, separation anxiety, school refusal, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these things that unfortunately, when we think of children, we think of them as they need to be compliant. So yes. a lot of the times anxiety makes them look very um, disobedient and resistant, but it's mm-hmm. really because they're afraid and that's why they're digging their heels in mm-hmm. because everything in them is telling them like, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas the transition, I actually start to notice around when kids are 10 and 11, they start to make statements like, I feel like I'm um, going crazy is, mm-hmm. is a common sentiment because they're now able to shift those body feelings yes. into thoughts mm-hmm. and they're starting to say, I'm thinking this, I'm feeling, you know, I'm thinking this, this is scaring me. Yeah. But I think smaller kids, you see a lot of like stomach aches, headaches, body stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about when it comes to the adults? What do you notice most? Yeah. So with adults more, I see um, a lot of overthinking, mm-hmm. a lot of worry, um, insomnia. So I think as as you shift into adulthood, the anxiety kind of internalizes and you you either learn through whatever messages like this is not something to be talked about or, you know, you see you wonder how come other people are dealing with stress. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, I think, take it in more and do a lot more worrying and overthinking. Um, and sometimes sometimes it does show up in your body, like stomach issues yeah. and headaches and things like that. But Mostly adults come in and and they're shocked and I'm shocked Mm. at times at how much they're actually thinking. Mm. Yeah. And now we know that there are um, several different kinds of anxiety disorders, like subcategories and things like that from generalized anxiety disorder, separation anxiety disorder, agoraphobia, um, specific phobias, panic disorders, things like that, social anxiety, which is the most common that you actually see who come to you? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I would say um, most commonly currently Mm -hmm. I am seeing um, sort of a generalized anxiety, meaning that a person is really worried about two or more important areas of their life Mm -hmm. or or things or topics. So um, it's usually a lot of times I'm seeing women, moms who are Mm -hmm. coming in like I'm worried about work, kids, myself. And what if this and what if that? Um, and I usually describe to people, and I know people love to self-diagnose, so be careful, <laughs> but yeah. I usually say generalized anxiety is this sense of even when everything is going well, mm-hmm. you are waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm. And most people who come into me when I sort of give that description are like, yes, yes, that one. <laughs> um So that's definitely when I see people have multiple worries. The other thing is social anxiety, which Mm -hmm. a lot of people, um, you know, I think it's one of those things that we're in a society now where unfortunately we don't have to interact as much. So people sort of just. That's true. 
kind of <laughs> take it take it on the chin but social anxiety is is really the fear of like being judged and being in new situations and fear of messing up so um that one like i said take that with a grain of salt because we've all been anxious in social situations but i do see that popping up a lot currently yeah and i'm just thinking um how do you think social media plays into the anxiety yeah, social anxiety, um, social media is a great avoidance tool. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we're all glued to our phones. Um, <laughs> I'm, I am one of them. I am guilty. I love my phone. Yes. And <laughs> it is so easy when I am uncomfortable to pull my phone out mm. and just be like, I'm not dealing with that. Nope. Let me look at something pleasant. Let mm. me do something else. Um, and I think in that sense, social media, it allows us to withdraw. And it also allows us to only show... Um, sometimes falsehood and mm. what we want to show. Mm-hmm. And that can be a little bit distressing to be like, I'm portraying myself as so outgoing yeah. and confident, but mm. in reality, I am feeling very opposite. Mm. So almost that cognitive dissonance. Yeah. 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 And it, it makes it harder to reach out because yeah. you're sort of like, well, I'm putting out this image um, and maybe I do want support and help, mm. but how will I now seek it? Mm. that's a good point so that's why I make it a point to post some of my uh, <laughs> not so great moments and wins I, or I, moods I love that <laughs> I, I, I love that I love that and it's funny because like even for me I always self-reflect on that and I'll be like well maybe I should post more of the you know not so good stuff mm-hmm. but then I, I think it's that part of me that's just like because I think people have this expectation yeah that you know you are a therapist you're always happy go lucky like you know what I mean mm-hmm. like we have the tools don't get us wrong we definitely have the tools but you know we're human too you know exactly. so we go through all the emotions that everybody goes through <laughs> and exactly. I think sometimes it's hard for people to understand that when they hold you um, on a certain pedestal or to a pedigree. You're very right. And and I think that that almost almost personally had me trapped, right? Like mm-hmm. those thoughts of like, oh yeah. no, well you can't sort of display that because then what? And then I had to say, you know what? When I have people sit down during my first session, I usually tell them like, hey, guess what? The difference between um, yourself and me mm-hmm. is that I've been practicing this. That's it. Yes. (laughs) Because there are days where I'm still super nervous or overthinking or, you know, not with it. And I have to just acknowledge it and do my best. Yeah. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about sometimes we have anxieties over things that are like the good stressors. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that because, you know, not all anxiety is negative either sometimes we right. need it to help us to complete those tasks that we need to get done so let's talk a little bit about the the good stressors that ha- may have us anxious and how we can um, manage that when we're in those spaces yeah I think so um, I think like you said like we all as human beings know anxiety because as you mentioned is really natural and normal mm-hmm. um, we need anxiety to be like oh oh yeah I need to send that email Or, oh, my goodness, um, you know, this is the due date. Let me get started. (laughs) (laughs) So it's necessary. I just think that, you know, sometimes we see it climb to um, an amount that's not proportionate to Mm -hmm. the situation. And Mm -hmm. that's when we get stuck. Mm -hmm. But in terms of good anxiety, like you said, starting a new job, Mm -hmm. that can be exciting and and nerve wracking because you want to do well. I think the thing that is important to pay attention to are your thoughts, right? The context. So if you start to feel nervous on your first day of work, you can remind yourself, yes, I am nervous. It's my first day of work. I've (laughs) never been there. I don't know these people versus sometimes we like, um, respond to that negatively to be like, Oh, what's wrong with me? Mm. Why am I so nervous? I should be happy. And it's like, well, hold on. You know, mm. don't stress yourself out further. Have some compassion and remind yourself you're in a new situation and you very well are anxious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely love that. What about those people? Because um, I, I think public speaking is a big one for many people. And it, you know, it's that good kind yes. of anxiety, good stress, because yes. you're like, first <laughs> off, you have this opportunity to speak to whoever the audience is you know, in front of you Mm -hmm. um, and being chosen as one of those speakers. Like how, how can somebody who is 
nervous about public speaking be able to overcome those fear and fears and anxieties about that? Yes. So public speaking is definitely, I want to say one of the top three fears mm. um, when you poll people. So it is very real and very common. <laughs> um, and I still get nervous yeah. uh, talking to groups. So one of the things that I would say is really that is more about relaxation skills, like mm-hmm. breathing to just bring your um, biology, your physiological system down Um the context to remind yourself, like, I'm nervous because this is a great situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited. And then also, though, practice. And it's really counterintuitive for scary <laughs> stuff like that. Like, I would say join Toastmasters or get a group of people together that allow you to sort of just practice in front of them. Because once you get ultimately sort of um, used to a situation, mm-hmm. your brain is really bored with it. And your brain is like, oh, yeah, we've done that before. Like, we're worried, <laughs> you know, we're a little worried, but I don't got time to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. And those are all like real concrete things, too, because mm-hmm. I think that is the biggest thing I hear all the time. People want like concrete things that they can do to help slay their anxiety. Um, yes. So I, I, I love those. I love those keys. Now, um, Dr. Hodge, why do you think anxiety is one of the top mental health illnesses in communities of color? Yeah, that is a great question because I think part of the reason is in part, you know, that it's one of the top disorders in general. Mm-hmm. But particularly for people of color, I think back through even my own family experience and how many people make comments like, you know, her nerves bad. Mm. Um, and now that I'm older, I'm like, that person I think was anxious, <laughs> um, you know, more so than others. Yeah. Or maybe that person had a trauma history, which still involves, you know, an anxious response. So I think that it is seen, as many other disorders and issues are, as something that you should be able to handle. Mm. And I think there's a lot of minimization. Um, there's a, a high value placed on being strong in communities of color. Mm -hmm. So I I do believe that feeling anxious um, is immediately attributed, right, to more weakness. So I think that's why it's not dealt with. I think that's why it's denied. Mm -hmm. But I also think we're exposed to so much, Um, whether that be directly, whether that be through stories. We have a a shared history of traumatic events. Mm. Um, I've seen some research done that, that sort of expresses that we all have trauma in our DNA as a result. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. so I just think for those reasons, we are hypersensitive. Um, we are in positions of potential danger often. And I also think, you know, even the way we're raised, I know I've gotten a lot of guidance around just stay, keeping my head on a swivel in Mm -hmm. all situations, whether it be physical, professional, interpersonal, always Mm -hmm. sort of being alert and aware. And I think that kind of perpetuates, unfortunately, like an anxious thought process. Yeah, yeah. No, those are very, very great points because um, just working a lot with children and families um, and the adults, I do see that when like the parent hasn't dealt with their own anxieties mm-hmm. and how it can transfer over into their child. Um, right. So it's a lot of work even with me talking to the adults about hey (laughs) you know I I think you really need to um, work on this and seek support in this area Um, Mm -hmm. because when you are well ultimately the kids are well so yeah no I I definitely agree wholeheartedly about the the DNA and trauma in our DNA Um, yeah because that's definitely real Um, Uh so and now Dr. Hodge to shift gears just just a little bit um what might be the top three signs someone may have anxiety? And again, y'all putting the disclaimer, I'm not <laughs> saying to self-diagnose none of that or that this takes away from you developing a relationship with a therapist um, or a professional um, to seek support. But, you know, just to give you an idea of, <laughs> hey, yeah, this might be something to kind of look out to... for. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think um, one of the biggest things is overthinking and this one uh, this one can be hard Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I often find that uh, individuals who overthink 
have been doing so for a long time and they may not even realize that the volume of thoughts that they have are higher. But I do think, I do think if you notice that you almost struggle even with small decisions, like, um, I shouldn't say ordering because we all struggle with that, but (laughs) there are some people that, you know, consistently that whether it be big or small, they're sort of like, well, I, I can't quite come to a decision because there's always a, if a, then B, if B, then C, if C, then D. And I'm trying to think of all the possibilities before I make a decision. You might want to look into, am I overthinking? Maybe there's an anxious process there um, because it's really hindering you. Mm-hmm. You're you're letting the ball drop and you're not making decisions um, because in reality, that that level of anxiety is not proportionate to probably something small. Like, where are we going to eat mm. <laughs> or, you know, which which one to pick, which one A or B? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a second one could be um, paying attention to your physical symptoms, meaning if you're noticing a lot of um, chest tightness, breathing issues, choking, coughing, there are definitely some people who go to their doctors a few times and they're like, I have respiratory issues, I have mm. stomach issues. Um, and sometimes that's anxiety, kind of like you're you're losing your breath, you're tight. And um, it's not a medical basis to it. But right. It could just be some panic going on. Um, and then I'm trying to I'm trying to think of things that are a little bit more under the radar. Um, last but not least, I would say that if you are significantly avoiding or attached to something, and here I'll give an explanation, mm-hmm. meaning there's some a place or things that you really um, maybe even want to do but you don't do whether that's socializing or um, going to the mall because there's too many people and they're looking at you, mm-hmm. um, or you feel like, you know what, um, I can't go anywhere without my water bottle because I get a dry mouth and I like to drink water. And if I don't have my water, I can't be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's some type of association that I would say, I think there's might be some anxious attachment going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, thank you for, for yeah. sharing that. And now, um, Dr. Hodge, I, I'm just thinking of, individuals who may experience a panic attack what Mm -hmm. is something that can help them in the moment because I know people come to me a lot like um whether they see me at church and be like hey I think I had a panic attack because x y and z and I'm like oh (laughs) so (laughs) what are some things (laughs) in the moment that people can do if they are experiencing that yes so panic is very scary I will share that um and I think that a lot of a lot of times, one of the the most activating thoughts when you're panicking is I'm going to die, right? Because everything yeah. about it feels so overwhelming. And, and the reality is, is your system is overwhelmed. A panic attack is when you have reached the highest level of anxiety. But the good news is, may not feel good, but the good news <laughs> is, is that the longest this can go is 10 minutes. Mm. So it, as long as you make it to the other side, yeah. you have survived. Um, so in those moments, I tell people your quickest go to is going to be grounding. You can't really think your way out of it. Mm-hmm. It's the equivalent of someone telling somebody calm down when right. they're really worked up. It just doesn't happen. So I would say try with all of your efforts to stay in the room, meaning what is something that you can see? What is something that you can smell, mm-hmm. hear, feel or touch? Count to 10, rub your fingers and do your best to just say, like, I'm in the moment. My feet are on the floor. I'm here and now. Because that will kind of bring your mind and your body back to the present versus kind of that floaty, really scary feeling that you can get when you have a panic attack. Yeah, yeah. No, and I love that. And I know um, this will help those individuals who do experience it and may struggle with knowing what to do. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no. So thank you for sharing those. You're welcome. I'm a big fan of, like you said, practical tips. There's a lot of you can talk about your anxiety all day. But I mean, if you're not really doing anything to practice managing it, it's just worrisome talk. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No, that that is so real. That is so real. Um, And now, Dr. Hodge, how do you think? um, I just lost my train of thought. Forgive me, (laughs) y'all. We're going we to have uh, my person, my producer edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so how do you think? So there we know that there are nine types of ants. And I'm and for the listeners, I'm not talking about the ants that are like at the picnic that are just like pesky <laughs> in our lunches, but automatic negative thoughts. 
Mm-hmm. And the two most common ones that I come in contact with with individuals is the all or nothing thinking and the overgeneralizations. Yeah. Now, Dr. Hodge, yes. how can somebody who has that all or nothing thinking and for the listeners, um, if you can just give a brief description of what that all or nothing thinking is and then like maybe like one or two tips to help them be able to manage that thought process. Yeah, that's a good one. So um, all or nothing thinking or sometimes it's referred to as black or white thinking is when um, it's either A or B. Right. Mm -hmm. So someone is like, this is all good or this is all bad or I did it right or (laughs) I was a failure. Um, And one of the main things that I let people know is that we are robbing ourselves of life when we do that. And here's why. If things can only be good or bad, what about everything in between? Mm, yeah. And realizing that some, some, lots of things are not all good or all bad. So I, I kind of do it like a bucket. I say you only have a good or bad bucket. We need a third one minimum mm-hmm. that you can say like this is okay. Um, and I tell people to monitor their language, meaning when we think that way, we usually talk in extremes, meaning you will catch yourself saying stuff like they always do that to me. Or Mm -hmm. I never get X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that I usually squint my eyes at someone and I say, never, like never in your life. No one's never been nice to you. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. (laughs) You know, okay, maybe one time, maybe two times. (laughs) And I laugh with them and I say, so here's the thing. Each time you say that and you think that, Hmm. it it becomes a stronger belief. Yeah. So you really start to think no one ever, you know, they never invite me. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to mess up at this. So I really encourage people to just start paying attention to your language out loud and in your head. Mm -hmm. And remind yourself, I'm working on this. I'm a work in progress, but it may be better or more beneficial for me to say, you know what? I feel like I don't usually get a chance instead of no one ever picks me. Mm. because you're acknowledging how you feel you're frustrated about it but then you're kind of also tempering that with maybe maybe one time somebody held the door for me (laughs) (laughs) and that and that lands on us differently I know it doesn't seem like it It seems like such a small thing but it really lands on us emotionally a lot differently to not speak in extremes Mm -hmm. And, and to even go back to that concept of you know our thoughts feelings and actions are all aligned and connected Mm -hmm. so we're saying that and we're thinking that what type of emotion do you think will be produced out of that and then what kind of behavior will be the response of that correct so correct no that that is so true it may be it may sound small to people but how effective it really is (laughs) yes and it comes through the practice like I said before so it's not just hey for one day I want you to stop thinking or saying always like, okay, maybe that day will be positive, but Mm -hmm. ultimately we're looking for long-term change. So you really need to try to do it more than often. Exactly. Exactly. And now for those individuals that are over generalized thinkers, Mm -hmm. if you can give a brief description about that type of thought process and then a tip or two to help them be able to manage that kind of thinking. Yeah. So overgeneralizing is really um, the opposite, meaning you're you are equating almost everything (laughs) like this happened to me one time. It is going to happen all the time, every single time in the future. And the reality is, is you're probably overestimating the probability of things happening. Mm. So when we're afraid in particular, it is shown that we really overestimate the probability of something being negative. So here's an example of that. If you and I are sitting together and it's a nice, bright, sunny day and we hear like a scratching noise, we might be like, oh, what was that? You know, Mm -hmm. "Mm, that was weird. But if we were sitting in a dark room and we heard a scratching noise, we'd be like, oh my gosh. is the dog is going to murder us, right? Like we immediately go to, this is the worst. (laughs) And I think that we see that in anxiety, this overgeneralizing of negative, like everything just feels negative, dangerous and threatening. So it's like, I'm doomed. So you have to be careful to sort of say like, what else? That's like my key question is I say, okay, well, what else? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe it is the dog coming to murder us. (laughs) (laughs) But what else could that noise be? 
<laughs> so it's really asking yourself, you know, okay, what's another reason? And being careful not to just blanket statement everything. <laughs> you said it may be the dog, <laughs> but you I, know, yeah, I am know. very, I'm very careful to shut people down. I yeah. even when someone gives me an idea and I'm like, girl, that's like 0.01% of that chance happening. I say, well, <laughs> that's one option. What's some other ones? Yes. <laughs> I love that because that is so, so, so real. <laughs> so I, I love that example. So I'm going to be laughing about that all day today. Because <laughs> that, that is real for many people. And yeah. now, and, and, and it's funny because I think of like the overgeneralizers often all the time when it comes to relationships, because I feel like um, that kind of, you know, sets many individuals up for, for automatic failure because yeah. we have this in our mindset. Oh, you know, he cheated on me or she cheated on me. So they all will do the same thing or they yeah. all will do that, this, that, and the third. And so you get into this next relationship and you don't even give it the chance because of mm-hmm. this thought process that you've mm-hmm. gone in with. Exactly. And that's very similar to something like a phobia, right? You know, yeah. when I was 10 years old, this one thing happened one time and I will never X, Y, Z again. And it's yeah. like, well, I guess that sounds like that was horrible, but we don't know until we try, which is the scariest part. People are like, but I don't want to try. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and just um, along the lines of phobias, how effective do you feel exposure therapy is? Because I have my takes on it. Um, mm-hmm. Just because um, I do different models of, of things. I'm uh, trained in TFCBT, so trauma-focused cognitive yeah. behavioral therapy. And so a lot of that is that exposure therapy to the trauma by naming the trauma and things like that. Um, but yeah. from your professional standpoint, how effective is do you feel that it has been with individuals you've worked with? Oh my goodness. So exposure and response prevention or just a plain old exposure therapy is so effective Um, to the point where when I was training, I thought these people are being dramatic. Like there's no (laughs) way that you, Uh you know, could get somebody who doesn't want to touch a snake to touch a snake and watching the process when done correctly and um, really well structured. It is, it's not a hundred percent, but it's it's up there. It's yeah. it's mind blowing, actually. But someone really has to be ready. I have to put that out there um, mm. because exposure therapy is ultimately yeah. you facing your fears directly head on and being willing to you know trust that we're going to work together. Mm. And um, I can see how that also is very intimidating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really good. How do you? Um, because I don't necessarily know, um, if many therapists are necessarily advertising that, like in their practices, um, when they're with Mm -hmm. their clients, like, oh, you know, um, let's do some exposure therapy. So like, how do you even bring it up to a client or like if a client hears about exposure therapy, just because of like what we see, you know, on movies and Mm -hmm. things like that, you know, they may be things that ruin people's perceptions. Yes. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) I have to undo a lot of that learning. Um, yeah. So I actually have, I'm a big fan of worksheets and explaining because Mm -hmm. I'm as a, as a person, I do not like to do things I don't understand. Um, I like to know all the details and maybe that's me being controlling, but it's just (laughs) what it is. Um, So I'm a big fan of worksheets and explanations. So I have like a little chart and a color um, worksheet about exposure. But the idea is that, um, as I shared before, when we are afraid of something, like our brain is trying to get our attention and saying, Mm -hmm. watch out, be careful. Once we are repeatedly exposed to that, our brain sort of realizes, oh, I thought this thing was going to happen. You know, I thought I was going to pass out or something like that. Mm. It didn't happen. I am no longer as interested mm. in this thing. So um, with exposure therapy, I do not ever encourage or make anyone do something I wouldn't do. Meaning there are some exposure therapists who will get in like a trash dumpster. Mm-hmm. I would not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the concept is, is that when someone is formally trained, um, you know, I think we all get a little bit of training in desensitization, which is gradually mm-hmm. getting someone used to something. Mm-hmm. But exposure theory is re- therapy is really about writing down specifically. These are the things that we're going to tackle in these stages. And we are going to work repeatedly to um, try this out. So I advertise it because I do a lot of um, OCD work, oh. which is... Um, very common to be used in exposure therapy but even for specific phobias like if you're afraid of 
getting shots or, you know, needles, or yeah. if you're sort of like afraid of bugs, um, if you're willing to take it head on, you can actually find that your anxiety be greatly reduced once you see like, oh, my original, you know, because you get to monitor, someone will say, oh, I thought that when I saw the ant, it was going to jump on my neck. Mm. <laughs> I mean, because that's what I'd be thinking when I see bugs. <laughs> I hear that a lot with spiders. People will like yes. stop their car and hop out yes, and exactly. be real. <laughs> so the thing is, is, we have to, we're tackling thoughts, but we're also tackling it through actions to be like, well, we just sat in the room with a spider. Did it jump on our necks? <laughs> so yes, that's an option, but chances are the next time you encounter a spider, it's actually the worst it's going to do is crawl on you. Mm. So just having the experience shows your brain like, oh man, maybe what I was thinking was inaccurate. Oh, uh, okay. It's scary though. Yeah, it's, it it's is. scary. Yeah. It <laughs> is. And now, um, Dr. Hodge, this question, you know, maybe a little larger in part because uh, again, I'm thinking of of communities of color and like yes. I'm I'm automatically thinking about the specific phobias right of either walking out the house and you being shot or mm-hmm. um being harassed how can a community like tackle that daily anxiety yes that to be honest is one of the hardest questions that not only you have asked but you know multiple yeah. people multiple people have asked me and I sort of I have a lot of compassion there a as a person of color and b yeah acknowledging like there is much reality in that yeah so a lot of the work that i do does focus on like a rationality and how this would not happen and Mm -hmm. your brain is kind of making up a story but i think when it comes to cultural anxiety yeah you have a basis for it so some of the things that i sort of encourage people to do is just a process it because i think some of it is even comes from just the minimization of like i can't even acknowledge that this is happening and that this sucks because everyone around me is telling me that maybe it's weak or it's not true or it's Mm -hmm. not real. So having that support on a general level is the first recommendation of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, But then secondly, I think it's important to still try to keep it in the context to say, you know what, you're right, this is happening and it could happen to me. And what is my ultimate goal? If my goal is to kind of go through my day and try to get things done, I need to still try to focus and remain in the present. Yeah. So it's okay to have those thoughts. And I I'd also carry that burden around. But I think it's in the rumination about it is where the anxiety starts to come. Because then you're like, well, what if? Mm-hmm. What if? Mm-hmm. What if? And that's a real question that I know many mothers stay up with at night. So I, I don't, yeah. don't want to knock it. I just right. want to validate it and say that there's compassion there. And try to have compassion for yourself and, and do your best to really just take care of yourself. That's what I encourage is the self-care yeah. and versus... Versus telling yourself, oh, this is not real. I shouldn't care. I shouldn't Mm -hmm. worry about this. Yeah. That's real. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, And so we are gearing towards the end of this great conversation. I know. And I'm like, I could really (laughs) talk to you all day. So what that means is I got to have you back on. So... I would you will love be back to be on. back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, um, Dr. Hodge, I, I want to take a little time just to talk about when anxiety is left untreated, what happens? Mm. Like, because yeah. I know what can happen. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but can we speak to that? What happens when anxiety is left untreated? So I'm going to give a more of a philosophical answer because, of, of course, it could be anything, right? Yes. It could look in many ways. Yeah. But to me, if anxiety is left untreated, you are robbed of a full life experience. Mm. And what I mean by that is anxiety is like a hungry little monster that always wants more. <laughs> so when we see people like someone maybe who's trapped or homebound and we're like, oh, my gosh, how did they end up that way? That seems impossible. It's because anxiety was asking for a little more every time. So maybe first anxiety said, no, don't go to the outlet. Too many people. Mm -hmm. Well, you know where else has too many people? Your job Mm -hmm. in the store. You know what? You would actually be safer in the house. Don't go outside. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is every time anxiety asked, they gave. And they didn't question and they didn't fight. So I say for anyone who is struggling, just keep fighting. Keep trying. Keep trying to do something new. You are worthy of that investment of change. So, 
it's uh, when left untreated, I, I do think you see a lot of um, limitations. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for that. That was powerful. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I really hope I, I felt that. I felt that when I yeah. said it. I really hope that that yeah. was helpful to someone because I know that anxiety is something that people suffer with in silence because yeah. they simply think it's just a bunch of thoughts. I just have bad nerves or yes. no one understands me. Yes. And the reality is, is this is something that you can get help for and with. It is very treatable. Yes, it is. It is. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, before we head off, I do have two listener questions for you. Sure. If you don't mind answering. Um, I do not. The first one, I think you kind of spoke to, but I guess we can kind of like highlight it. Um, first question was, how can I tackle my anxiety with no insurance? Mm-hmm. That's a, that is definitely a reasonable, a real question, right? Yeah. Because insurance, I think, offers us access to certain professionals and treatment. So I will say that um, there are things you can do. So one of them was the things that I mentioned earlier, which was grounding, which was about getting into the here and now, um, looking at what you can see, feel, hear, or smell in the mm-hmm. moment. Um, things like ar- using aromatherapy, smelling essential oils. You could do some research on that. Mm-hmm. Um, also journaling to sort of write out your concerns because a lot of times our anxious thoughts swim in our head. Yes. Um, and it can be helpful to get them out. Um, on paper, not now. I'm not saying make a list, a uh, <laughs> 30 mile long list, but I just mean kind of getting some of your thoughts mm-hmm. out, journaling and thinking about gratitude. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I'm a fan of like yoga and stretching. I don't necessarily mean yoga, like putting your legs over your head, <laughs> but really, but really like learning like good breathing techniques and yeah. centering and learning how to just just be compassionate. We have a big, strong, critical voice in our minds um, that often tells us what we're not doing or what we should be doing. Mm. And I'm just a big fan of, of stepping back and saying, okay, that may be true, but what am I doing and where am I satisfied? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Uh, the second question is, is anxiety something that can be cured? That is the interesting question. So my stance on that is anxiety is probably more than likely something that can be well managed. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if you are someone who um, experiences ongoing anxiety or has a, a even a longstanding anxiety disorder diagnosis, um, you may be an anxious person. I let people know it's okay. Yeah. Like it's okay to walk around and be like, I'm an anxious person because you're aware of yourself. And now, you know, there are certain situations that will more than likely trigger me that I'm going to have to use my skills in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The idea is not for you to be anxiety free. You need that. Yeah. So you cannot be anxiety free. Your brain is not designed that way. If so, it is damaged. Mm. So the idea is that how how will you work to manage your anxiety really well? So I would say that anxiety can be very well managed, but not mm-hmm. cured. Yes. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then what are three key ingredients you feel an individual needs to evolve into their best self? Ooh, best self. I love that. So I would say the first thing is awareness. Mm-hmm. I am very big on knowing who you are, how you operate, um, what maybe your strengths are and where you can improve. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a firm believer that you can use your strengths to combat your weaknesses. So if you sort of know, hey, this is where I struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what do I know about myself that I can help with that? So I would say awareness is one. Um, Compassion, which I've talked about a lot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is the other. Having self-compassion to know um, that you can push yourself, but you can also rest Mm -hmm. um, and to give yourself room. And then let's see, a third one, awareness, compassion. And I would say um, the ability to know that you won't always get it right, which is kind Mm -hmm. of maybe... An interesting generic thing but the idea is that a part of life is just trying things and learning from from my perspective what you don't like mm-hmm. so just know that every time is not going to be picture perfect it's not you're not going in for the outcome go in with the experience in mind as well yeah I love that thank you for that you're thank welcome you so thank you those were so thought-provoking <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we we're all for people evolving into their best self to be able That's to live right. their best life to fulfill their God given purpose. So, mm-hmm. 
you know we want we want the evolvers to 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 evolve so that's right i appreciate you and all you do for our community um and everyone you come in contact with and for helping people slay their anxiety so that's so appreciated yes thank you you are welcome. Can you let the listeners know how they can connect with you? Because I'm sure after they hear this, either they're going to reach out to want to have you as their therapist, have you come speak somewhere. So, you know. Yes. <laughs> well, I would love that. I love to speak, teach, yes. chat, all of that. Um, <laughs> you can find me on the internet at www.slayyouranxiety.com. It's my website, um, but on all social media platforms, my um, at is help me Hodge. So H-E-L-P-M-E-H-O-D-G-E. And that's across like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I love the gram. So you can find me there all day, every day. Yeah. Well, I, I think many of us love the gram because I, I be looking like, oh, we, we post a lot on the gram. Girl, nonstop. <laughs> So yes, you guys heard that you can catch Dr. Hodge at Help Me Hodge on all social media platforms. So y'all go connect with her, like her stuff, because she's always um, sharing dope content um, and tap into services that she offer because they are going to be dope. I know. So Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Hodgins. So I definitely have to have you come back um, because I know just talking about anxiety, we can go in so many different ways with this. For sure. Um, because like you said, this is like the basis and foundation for a lot of uh, mental health illnesses. So yep. and this is a conversation that won't just stop at today but we will continue to have yes i encourage everybody to keep talking normalize all mental health everywhere (laughs) yes yes so thank you again and thank you listeners and you guys be well Hey, TC listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe this podcast. It can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And don't forget to connect with me on social media, on Instagram at The Evolving Chair, Facebook, The Evolving Chair, Twitter at The Evolving Chair without the R, and my new email address, podcast at theevolvingchair.com. So send in your questions if you are interested in being a guest or want to be on the chair with Lakeisha.